Big Daddy Unlimited brings you this episode of the QA. It is the end of the month, which means it is QA time. It is also not just the last Monday of the month, but the last day of the month. So I'm getting this done in the nick of time. My name is Dave Tim from Guns and Tactics. Thank you very much for spending a few minutes of your day checking out this video. This is the series where we answer your questions. You send a question to the email address shown below. That is the QA at gunsandtactics.com. And I do my best to answer your questions. One lucky question asker also does get a prize, which is pretty awesome. And we always do our best to try to make sure we're getting good info. And several of the questions have kind of spawned into their own video topic as well. So again, if you want to see your question on the show, send us an email. You can certainly leave a comment down in the section below, but the email is best. It's the best way for us to track things and go from there. So we're going to get right to it. Uh, we have a regular starting off, Kevin, who always submits questions every month, which we appreciate. Kevin, I don't think I was able to get to all of them just for time, but there are a couple of good ones in here that I think will eventually make their way to their own episode as well. So real quick, how do you handle bursting bubbles or dispelling myths as an experienced gunsmith or instructor, especially when correct information contradicts what the internet experts say? Um, I totally have been there before, and actually I was just writing a course description. I'm going to be teaching at a class, um, a, a conference of operators who operate operationally, I guess. But I'm going to be teaching at a conference this spring, and in the job, or the uh, not job description, in the uh, training description, I even put sacred cows will be slain, uh, talking about certain fundamentals, things like that. So uh, I try to do it with real information. You know, it's certainly good to be upfront, and I try to tell people like, hey, this is my opinion. Uh, and as one of my late mentors, Louis Auerbach, used to say, whenever you hear the terms I, me, my, those are my opinions, they're not fact. And I try to follow that because Louis was really, really good about sharing his opinion when it was appropriate and then sharing fact when it was appropriate. And then letting the student ultimately decide what's best for them. So that's how I try to do that. Now, some of the stuff out there might not even necessarily be a myth. Things just might have you know, evolved or we could have you know, gotten updated techniques or you know, technology or whatever it might be. So it wasn't necessarily even bad information then. It was the best of what they had. And now we just have better information. So I just try to be upfront with that. Does it make sense to keep the chamber of an AR dripping wet? No, just lube the bolt in the carrier. I don't want the chamber wet at all. I want that dry and nice and clean. Uh, so basically it can do its thing because if it was soaking wet, not only could we have issues, but then also when that oil burns, because that does get really hot, that is a bad thing as well. So we, we don't wanna lubricate the chamber, if you will. Uh, do you recommend loading AR mags to full capacity or minus two? Uh, for me, out of habit, I just load everything to 28. Uh, I know with the new PMAGs and some of the new GI springs and stuff like that, they say you can load them to 30, which you probably can, but for me, out of habit, I still load everything to 28. Preferred mounting plate for the Holosun 509 to mount the red dot as low as possible. Obviously, direct milling would be best, and there are some machine shops out there that are getting those 509s, which is the closed emitter, which I actually have. I have one around here somewhere. Well, I got one on me, but that's internet range safety officers out there would have a cow if I took out my carry piece, so we won't do that. However, uh, that being said, if you get it machined, I've seen some gunsmiths that are really, really getting it super low. I don't have a CNC, so I'm not doing any slide milling for uh, any complex cuts, but although I probably could do that on manual mill, it's just I don't know if it'd be worth the time. But anyways, answer your question, CHPWS. I've also heard that a couple other companies are working on a 509 plate, but right now for like Glock MOS and Walther and you know, popular platforms, 
I think for the 509 CHPWS and plus uh, they, you know, I know that they've, you know, if you do homework on CHPWS, I know there are some people that have had issues. My personal experience, and I've literally got probably 12 of my own plates on various guns and I've given away at least 12 plates at classes because they do support my, my channel. They do support the training, excuse me, that I do. So if you think I'm biased or whatever, I'm just going off my experience. And they were nice enough to send me a big box of plates saying, hey, we appreciate your training. And if you need to give these out to students who need them, please do. And they have, and we have not had any issues. So that's just my experience. So doing, doing well for me. Now, I, do I know other people have had other people, other experience? Absolutely, but I can just speak off mine. Save, uh, favorite blocks for gunsmithing use? Uh, believe it or not, back in the day, the old Brownells orange front sight base block was like a godsend when that came out. Um, now we just don't see too many front sight bases anymore for ARs. So my go-to blocks are just a standard Delrin, the green Brownells one, or if I'm doing other gas block stuff, uh, forward controls makes a nice one. Otherwise, the new Midwest Industries ones, which are actually off just out of camera or out of reach there off camera. The new Midwest industry uh, AR tools are really, really nice as well. One of the things that I am planning on doing is kind of a Tim's, the gun tool man, and uh, it's a, kind of an homage to the old home improvement, but I do want to do some gunsmith tool videos where I kind of walk around the shop and open up drawers and talk about different tools. So it's on the list. It's just a matter of, you know, getting all of that organized to do. Tricks of the trade, Magpulmo SL handguards. Uh, I have one of those tools that hooks into the magwell, has two bars that I can come up and pull off the delta nut and get leverage. That just makes life so much easier just to get that clearance. And then otherwise, sometimes it's just you get them close and then you kind of have to use a rubber mallet to kind of just get everything tapped into place because getting everything aligned on those can be a pain. So just practice. Uh, we actually put those on our department patrol rifles I don't know, a couple of years ago. So I was doing about 10 of them and you know, you just kind of got some practice and you got pretty good at it. Uh, extractor spring insert o-ring necessary what have i found uh, i still use a black insert good quality spring either colt or a good quality equivalent and then i do use o-ring and that's generally what i my go-to is uh, i think i did a video on some of that before if i did there'll be a link up there it maybe was on the old channel uh, otherwise i will definitely uh, do an updated version on that is there a preferred Fitting block setup when checking hammer and sear engagement on an AR when tuning with power custom stoning. Uh, here's the thing. I don't stone any AR triggers anymore. There are so many good quality triggers that are drop-in, that have a warranty, that have factory specs, duty grade to whatever. Uh, it has been probably eight years since I've stoned an uh, AR trigger, and I don't plan on doing it anymore. So I, I don't have a block. I don't even have any, you know stuff like that to do AR trigger jobs. I just do drop-in stuff. Uh, it's just, it reduces the liability plus the quality, two-stage, single-stage. You can get pretty much whatever you want nowadays with uh, minimal work. What are your preferred stones? Uh, I usually get all of my Arkansas stones from either Brownells or MSC Direct and of whatever grit I need for kind of cleaning up burrs or stuff like that when I do have an issue. Uh, but again, that'll probably be a part of that gun you know, tool video. When it comes to common vision defects, when does it make sense to recommend iron sights, a prismatic optic, a red dot optic, aperture rear sight in conjunction with a red dot or an LP, uh, LPVO? Uh, obviously, it's going to depend on everybody's eyes. And you know, you mentioned too about how some people have had success using the rear aperture with a red dot. So that way it kind of causes their eye to constrict or you know, maybe work on their astigmatism or something like that. 
My general philosophy is if an LPVO is an answer, it probably should be the answer, but that's just my personal preference. Are there still guns that I have red dots on? Yes. And are there still situations where I think a red dot is appropriate? Yes, absolutely. SBRs are one. However, on one SBR build I'm going to be doing coming up, I'm actually going to be putting an LPVO on it. Not necessarily because I need that gun to be a 400-yard gun, but because I might need it to be very precise at 60 yards or something like that. So uh, I generally like LPVOs. Uh, right around a pound is where I try to get them to weigh. If they weigh more than that, it kind of starts to become a little bit tougher on a patrol rifle. However, red dots are still good quality. They're fast, they're robust, they're reliable, so they are a good solution as well. Obviously, you're going to have to do what works for the individual with your eyesight, whatever it might be. Brass overbolt, uh, talked about that uh, in kind of some detail in your email. I think that should probably just be its own video. Uh, I have... Thankfully, we just don't see it that often. At AR classes that I've attended, teach, whatever, it's just not that common, but do we still go through it? Yes, however, I probably teach it a little bit different than some other instructors, uh, just because I'm teaching towards that kind of common patrol officer at times. So it's gonna be one of those things that is definitely a more, not an immediate action, you know, it's gonna take some definite time. And for most people who don't practice it, it's gonna take some significant time, if not some tools. So that'll be its own video. FAL mag refurbishing, I actually don't own an FAL or any FAL mags. So I'd be out of my lane, so we might have to do some homework on that. Cold weather sling use trigger guard optic lenses. Cat crap for the optic lenses, same thing with my handgun red dots. Trigger guard, I still like the oversized trigger guard, either the old ones from Defensive Edge, uh, the new ones from Forward Controls. The Magpul one is probably one of my least favorite, just because depending on your lower and where it sits in those ears might be kind of a pain. Uh, so the Forward Controls one so far has been pretty good, uh, as is the old SLR. And, you know, I'll probably come across another one here and there. The Bravo one's pretty good. Uh, the new Midwest one looks pretty nice. I just got some of those in. And then as far as the uh, mittens and stuff like that, uh, even when I'm in really cold, I still try to have an isolated trigger finger mitt. And I think I talked about that a little bit in my cold weather AR video, which you can check out up there. But that uh, still allows me to get in those trigger guards just fine. And instructor nightlife, travel vices, things like that, you kind of you know, went into some detail. I don't know what kind of experiences you have, but I have never had students offer me to do those you know, types of things, taking me out for all sorts of uh, vices. I'll just leave it at that. I, uh, I don't know. I kind of avoid that when I travel. Granted, I've only been traveling for about a year-ish. But even when we've hosted people, we've never offered to do those things. But uh, I, I don't know where where that kind of happens. So, uh, and then the training hazing with uh, the, you know, replicating blood and stuff like that. Again, I haven't heard of that. I talked to a couple of other colleagues and thankfully they've never heard of that. So I don't know if that's kind of a, a thing down in your area, but basically what he was referring to was some people basically making like fake blood that would stain and then kind of using it as like a hazing thing for new students or whatever. Uh, I, I just haven't heard of it. So what I have done when I do want to simulate uh, blood or slippery stuff, whatever, I use baby oil because it's easy to clean up and it is kind of slippery. However, I can tell you from personal experience that blood, real blood, is kind of slippery at first uh, because it's a thicker liquid. However, then once it kind of, you know, smears to where it starts to dry, it actually gets sticky. But at first, uh, it, it's very slippery, okay? Like I went to a stabbing scene once and literally it looked like Dexter. Uh, and Lance, if you're watching this, you, could, you were there, but like you're walking and you're like slipping because your boots are just slipping on the blood because there's so much blood everywhere. Uh, like I said, it almost looked like a Dexter scene. But then as you're grabbing onto people and stuff like that and that blood is starting to dry, uh, it would actually get kind of sticky. 
And there's been other times too on medicals, car crashes, assaults, whatever, where it is like that. But once it gets on stuff, if it kind of smears out to where it starts to dry and get tacky, it actually gets a little sticky. So that uh, is one part of it. All right, so thank you very much for those questions, Kevin. We'll uh, get into some more detail on some of those other things. I think they'd be good video ideas. Number two, this one is from Brian. I saw a review of a new single stage trigger. I was looking on the Seiko webpage for their Model 85 and they show two options, a single and a uh, single set and a single stage. And I honestly, I think they're probably referring to the same thing. Generally in triggers, there's single stage and double stage. Single stage is basically if we had the trigger, it's ready primed, ready to go. And as soon as we apply the appropriate weight to break it, it breaks, the shot's fired. A double stage trigger basically has this first stage. For a lot of triggers on the market, there's usually a spring that is causing that. Some of them are actually a fake uh, two stage, whereas this is doing nothing other than just overcoming spring resistance. On other triggers, this is actually moving the sear or some type of a disconnector a certain amount. And then we get to that wall, we break that, and then the shot is fired. So a single stage, we're already at the wall, if you will, as soon as we apply the appropriate weight to break that Boom, the sear engagement breaks and the shot's fired. On a two stage, we have the first stage and then we hit the wall and then we have to break the shot. And what is your preference is kind of up to you. On precision rifles, I kind of like two stage triggers better just because it allows me to prep, get ready, get in there, prep the trigger against the wall and then when everything is right where I need it to be, I can go ahead and break the shot. However, on my last Voodoo, I ordered it with a single stage to kind of try out as well. This one is from Charles. I have a 22 long rifle AR that I'm shooting a 223 ASC Jet Z CQBS silencer. I'd be very interested to hear the best way to clean the lead deposits out of the sealed unit. First things first is check with the manufacturer. I don't know what that one is specifically made out of. Certain materials such as titanium, aluminum, things like that can be harmed by certain chemicals that are commonly used to clean suppressors. So check with the manufacturer, see if they have any ideas. Otherwise, the technique that I really like when I clean sealed units is a soak in WD-40. Go down to my local fleet store and I buy the big jug of WD-40. I have kind of like a PVC pipe container somewhere around here that I fill. And then literally I will dump the suppressor into that and let the WD-40 soak. And that actually does a pretty good job of loosening gunk and grime and things like that up to where it'll pour out. Repeat if necessary. Depending on what the suppressor is made out of, I also love throwing my sealed suppressors in ultrasonic cleaners. That does wonders, but make sure you're using a safe cleaning solution. Some of the stuff that's out there can be harmful to titanium or aluminum. So make sure you check with the manufacturer on what it's made out of and see if they have any recommended uh, cleaning. If you are gonna be using an ultrasonic cleaner, Make sure the suppressor is resting on something because if it's metal on metal in the tank, then uh, obviously you can have some issues with that. So definitely make sure you take care of that as well, like a little plastic tray or like a little you know wood bumper or whatever it might be. So definitely take good care of that. All right, before we get into our last few questions, let's go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsor, which is a new sponsor, Big Daddy Unlimited. Big Daddy Unlimited, as you may have heard, is a members exclusive firearms, ammunition, and accessory buying webpage. And let me tell you, their prices are absolutely outrageous. Some of their stuff, I'm actually convinced they lose money on just to kind of get you in to buy stuff. Kind of like those good old Costco hot dogs that we all love, which have you never had a Costco hot dog? Seriously, they're amazing. Anyways, back to Big Daddy Unlimited. It is a members only. They do have a trial where you can start out for your membership for only 99 cents. And then after that, it is 10 bucks a month. 
but the pricing is absolutely outrageous and they have over 300,000 items. I wish I could show you what the price is and everything else was because I can't, it's members only, but if you sign up using the link, you save yourself some money when you sign up, plus you're gonna save yourself some money on every one of your orders. And if you're like me that likes to buy a bunch of stuff, guys, watch out, hide your credit cards, the money savings here are gonna lure you right into the point you're gonna to wanna to open up your own credit card, I'm serious. It's that good. Big Daddy Unlimited, thank you very much for your support. Check out the link below if you want to sign up. It does help out the channel as well. And uh, I look forward to seeing and hearing about all the cool stuff you buy. And they have a really cool sale going on right now too. All right, back to it. This one is from Dave. Hi, my name is Withheld. I'm a senior deputy with Agency Withheld, training coordinator, and I hope this email finds you well. Agency is considering staccato P for duty use. However, they have some concerns over the lack of an internal drop safety. So, uh, and then we kind of talk a little bit more. I did email you offline because full disclosure, I am a part of Staccato's blue team, so I'm getting you in touch with the uh, reps and things like that. But just so everybody can also kind of gain a little bit, the 1911 does have safeties, but it doesn't have like a firing pin safety that you may hear about on a striker fired platform. Now, yes, there are the Series 80 1911s that Colt tried. However, those suck and nobody uses those, but they did have uh, a firing pin safety, if you will. The reason why a 1911 doesn't really need one of those is because of a couple of reasons. Number one, it has an external safety, but what if that external safety was turned in the fire position and the gun dropped? Well, then we also have the grip safety. Now that grip safety prevents the trigger from physically moving back to the rear because that grip safety, and I'm gonna do a, a separate video on this because I think it's a really good idea, but there's actually a tab or a nub, if you will, on that grip safety and the trigger bar is right up against that, or the trigger bow, excuse me. When the grip safety is pressed, this pivots up, allowing that trigger bow to move back and forth and the gun to fire. When that grip safety is engaged, or disengaged would probably be the better term, uh, that gun cannot fire, the trigger cannot go back. And then we also have the sear surfaces being precise fit as they are. And then we also have a firing pin spring to prevent the floating firing pin. It does not have a floating firing pin. So again, it's a very safe gun. I was talking to a huge agency in California. I'm not going to say who, but they're huge, like Mongolia's big. And I was talking to them and they do a six axis drop test. So you can imagine the six ways to drop it from five feet is what I believe they said in the Staccato P uh, past flying colors. I know another large agency that put their gun, uh, it was the U.S. Marshals. I was talking to one of their guys, and he said not to quote him, but he thought that they followed the NIJ testing protocols, which also does include drop tests, which includes a primed case. So uh, I have no reason to suspect, you know, to be suspicious, but I get why certain administrators are. It's different, okay? I totally get that. But I'm gonna do a separate video kind of getting into more detail of transitioning to the 2011 because I think there's a couple other really big perks on the 2011 safety systems. And let's face it, the most dangerous time when an officer is most likely going to have a negligent discharge or an accidental discharge, depending on what you wanna call it, is when they're holstering the gun. That's an incredibly common time. And depending on how you holster your gun, which we'll talk about in the video, arguably the 2011 or 1911 platform is actually safer to holster. Now, here's the other caveat. Don't put stupid rubber bands or duct tape or anything else around the grip safety. That's just not what they're for. So, And that's why also I, I laugh because some of these other gun companies have said, oh yeah, we're coming out with a duty gun, but yet they use pinned grip safeties. Think about that one. So, But anyways, Dave, we'll talk more. I do appreciate it. If you would like to see a shoulder patch, 
up there. Well, it wouldn't be shown on camera, but I would be uh, in your debt if you would consider that. All right, a few other questions left, and then we'll get to our prize. This one is from Troy. Speaking of 2011s, I kind of moved this one here. 2011 magazines. What are the difference between Gen 1, Gen 2? Now I even see Gen 3, plus the aftermarket. Gen 1 was the first one, and uh, I will do a video on this because I think it's actually a really good topic. But these are Gen 1 mags. They have kind of these lines. You had to use a spacer. You had to get them tuned. That was the biggest pain in the butt of a 2011 platform. When I ran a 2011 competition, I had to buy tuned magazines. So that was a pain. Then the Gen 2s came out. No more spacers, a little different body shape. These were way more reliable, almost to the point where we didn't need to tune them. Every now and again, I would have an early Gen 2 that I would need to adjust just a little bit. There was all different versions and little upgrades within the Gen 2, so followers, how they're tuning springs, stuff like that. The latest ones, uh, say, I don't have one handy, but they look just like this, except for they say G3, and that is the latest version. Uh, little tweaks along the way, and again, spring follower. So those are the current ones. There are some companies that are making aftermarket mags, and I have not used them, so I can't testify to how good they are, but I've heard decent stuff. But I'm gonna do a different video just on 2011 mags, the identification, kind of care, love, feeding, maintenance of your 2011 mags. Because these things aren't cheap. This one's from Jonathan. Jonathan, did you, or Jonathan says, did you see anything cool at SHOT Show? No videos from SHOT Show this year. What's up with that? Yes, that is true. We did not do anything because unfortunately I was not able to go to SHOT Show, which is always a bummer. I do like going. This year I had a lot of stuff going on uh, for the day job. We had an internal and external hiring process that I was a part of. Uh, in hindsight, would I wish I had went to SHOT Show? Kind of. <laughs> uh, I kind of wish I would have just you know, took some time off and went and networked and maybe made some better connections or whatever. So uh, it was a good year. I've heard a lot of guys did some really good networking, made some good connections, which is always good. Attendance was down. And as far as like new stuff, uh, I'm excited about a few things that I hope I'm going to be doing some videos on. Just off the top of my head, and I'll probably come up with more of a list, Loophole, their Patrol 1-6, to looks like a pretty darn nice LPVO. Uh, Staccato has a new grip texture, which looks pretty nice as well. I'm hoping to get my hands on that, plus a comp that looks pretty good from Dawson. So, okay, alliances aside. There is also a company that is coming out with a reduced size 22 AR platform rifle, which I think will be a huge hit for the youth market, which uh, having kids myself looking to take them to the range and having struggled with you know larger guns, I think that'll be really cool. So I'm hoping to actually do a video on some of that stuff. Oh, I guess I forgot to turn that speaker off. And then uh, there's a few other uh, things that I thought were kind of cool that come up here and there, um, whether it be soft goods or clothes or you know accessories, whatever. But I'll probably do more of a SHOT Show wrap-up video, or like I said, probably what I'll focus on is just trying to get as much stuff in as I can to show you guys, whether it be in first look or reviews or whatever. Last question is from Nathan. Hi, I'm a new shooter. I've taken a couple of basics classes and want more. In my area, options are limited, so do I travel, try to get someone here, what are the next steps? And then also, what is a class or type of class I should look at? Here's the best advice I will give you. Don't be afraid to travel. Don't be afraid to do your homework. Don't be afraid to look for a good quality instructor with a good reputation. Look for after action reviews. Don't be afraid to ask that instructor for references as well. What type of class? Everybody always gets wrapped up in the, I want advanced training, I want advanced this. Well, the reality is most students who really, really, really want that are still really well served by quality instruction in the fundamentals. Now I get it, maybe there's a certain skill set that you're looking for, whether it's uh, close quarter stuff or around structure. Maybe it involves some movement. 
Maybe it involves uh, close up to people or something like that. And there are classes that kind of specialize with those skill sets from a variety of instructors that do a really good job. Maybe you're looking for a red dot transition class or a 2011 transition class or something like that. But the reality is all those classes, pretty much every high level whiz bang operator, operationally operator class always starts with, you guessed it, the fundamentals. The instructor wants to see, hey, can these people shoot? Most times you'd be surprised at how often the wheels fall off past about that 15 yard line. The other thing is that instructor wants to make sure everybody has a baseline understanding of the fundamentals so then when they move forward to different things, they are, at least aren't starting at ground zero. Now there are some classes that say, hey, you have to have all these prerequisites and blah, 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 so then they can maybe start you know, with the wheels running a little bit quicker, but even then a lot of those do a review and they loop back. So don't be afraid to take good quality fundamental classes or like level one or whatever it might be. Now for me, when I market my classes, I have an intro course and I call it that because it is just that, it's an intro. As I like to joke around, it's a step above, hey, this is the end where the bullets come out. However, my fundamental class, I often get uh, people who tell me like, hey, I don't wanna take that. Why not? Well, I'm looking for you know, more of the basics. I'm, I'm beyond the fundamentals. Well, I've had other guys take that class literally four years in a row because they use it as a benchmark to see how they improve. And they always generally tell me they learned something new or got better. So don't be afraid to take a fundamentals class from somebody as well, especially if it's a good class. You'll be surprised at how much there is to sharpen. I still go to fundamentals classes. I love seeing how other people teach the fundamentals. I wanna get better, I'm always on this quest. So I have kind of this master student philosophy. Rest in peace, Neil, if you know the quote I'm talking about, bonus points to you. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this one. Before we give away our prize, I do want to again say thank you to Big Daddy Unlimited. And if you have any questions, again, the best way to see your question on the show is to email us. The email address is shown below. That is the QA at gunsandtactics.com. I'm going to go ahead and put the rules up. Make sure you're following the rules. If you've won in the last so often, make sure that you uh, are sharing the love and we'll keep track of that. But I'm looking for you guys to stay honest. All right, our random number generator gave us number eight. I don't actually think we had eight questions. No, so we had seven. So that means Nathan, you're number seven. You are going to be the winner. And the prize is actually some nine millimeter ammunition. Pretty crazy with a street value of $11,282. No, I'm just kidding. Well, actually, it might not be. Wait to see how 2022 goes. Again, I thank you very much for spending several minutes of your day listening, whether you're on your podcast or watching this on YouTube. Do appreciate it. Check out our webpage, social media. Lots more content coming. It's going to be a great year. Hope 2022 is off to a good start for you. And I uh, look forward to seeing you throughout the year. Thanks for watching and have a great day. We work really hard to make content that we hope you as a shooter would enjoy. Subscribe to our channel, check out our featured videos and playlists, and if you have a question firearms related, go ahead and send an email to the address shown on the screen to be entered into our monthly QA series.